to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place where we drill deep into the question and the mystery of the markets for oil and diesel, the liquid gold that propels trucks and trains down the highway and down the tracks, and where we drill deep into whatever else we want to talk about. Today, we've got Steve Burks, a former truck driver turned professor of economics and PhD. He has made trucking his specialty. We're going to hear from him on his views of the current market. But let's talk oil first, as we always do. Here on Drilling Deep, we've talked before about the frustration that consumers of gasoline or diesel have when they hear about the price of crude going down and they are just not seeing it at the pump. Here at FreightWaves, we've got a very simple tool to measure the extent of your frustration. It's in Sonar. That's our market dashboard product, and it's called the Fuel Spread. Of course, everything in Sonar is capitalized, so that's F-U-E-L-S spread. It's actually very simple. You just take the average price of wholesale diesel and you compare it to the retail price of diesel. You subtract wholesale from retail. Uh, the wholesale price of diesel, for a variety of reasons, will always track pretty closely against the commodity price of diesel that they trade on the CME exchange. If diesel on CME goes up a cent and a half, then wholesale diesel is likely to go up about that. I say about because you can have individual markets that have movements in their area that may offset some of the gains on CME. For example, diesel in the Gulf Coast is traded as a differential to CME diesel. It's almost always negative. You trade it something like $0.04 cents under CME, $0.05 cents under CME, etc. You, so you can have a day in which the CME rises $0.02, cents, but the spread in the Gulf Coast goes down $0.01 cent or widens by $0.01, cent, and so the wholesale price gain is muted. But for the most part, those wholesale prices are going to go up or down pretty much the same amount as CME over time. But retail moves slowly. We know that it really moves slowly on the way down. That's the sort of thing you see in that fuels data series and sonar that I mentioned. We do that spread for dozens and dozens of individual locations, and we do one for a national average as well. Let's talk about that national one. On April 28th, about two months ago, that spread was about $1.68 a gallon nationally. That means the national average for retail diesel was running $1.68 more than the national average for the wholesale price of diesel. Because sonar is relatively new, we don't have years of data to compare that to. But given the data we do have, I think I can tell you that spread was insanely high. The retail price of diesel was just not coming down anywhere near the decline in the price of wholesale diesel. It might have caused a little more anger than it did, than it might have normally, but you know, prices were just so low anyway that they weren't likely to get anybody too upset to begin with. There is an old saying though, markets come back. They always come back. There are some markets in energy that I don't think actually are going to come back for a long time. For example, if you look at the spread between U.S. crude and U.S. natural gas from 15, 20 years ago, and you compare that to today, I don't think we're ever going to get back to that spread. That's because the shale revolution yielded lots and lots of natural gas. It yielded lots of crude too, but it's really been gas that's seen a surge in supply. So it took that relationship and it really blew it completely out of the water. And there's really a new relationship. You know, new normal is such a hot phrase today talking about uh, the pandemic. But I think, you know, natural gas to oil in the U.S. is certainly a new normal. So traders of financial instruments have liked to look at the historical relationship between gold and oil. For years, the norm in that relationship was about 15. If you had one ounce of gold, you could buy 15 barrels of oil with it. But slowly in the past several years, as oil supplies kept moving higher, that ratio went completely out of whack. It's now about 45. A few weeks ago, it was like 80. 
Does it ever get back toward 15? I guess that's possible. But there's definitely been a big shift for a significant period of time. Again, the shale revolution caused that. So let's say, let's look at retail to wholesale diesel. And I think you can say it has gone back. As of midweek this week, it was coming down from that $1.68. It was back down to about $1.09. The fact is, it's still a little high by the data, based on the data series. We haven't sonar on that price ratio, but it's a lot closer to normal levels, which I think might be pegged a bit more toward $1. The spread has come in mostly because retail diesel prices have stayed reasonably steady while crude moved up. And as crude moved up, it pulled commodity diesel with it and then wholesale diesel with it. But retail's kind of hung back. This was not a result of diesel prices taking big moves downward. In fact, the DOE price the other day marked only the second increase in the last, I think, 21 weeks, and it was only up by a cent. But based on this week's government data on production and supply and inventories, we're still in a situation in diesel we've talked about the last few weeks. Inventories measured in days supply is still at an all-time high. Even with demand rising, and the statistics did show demand jumped in the past week, refiners keep making so much diesel instead of jet fuel that inventories keep going up. But we've said that before. The key thing here that you need to know is that drivers are finally getting some benefit from the overall decline in the wholesale price of diesel. It's finally being seen at the pump. We're going to move on now here at Drilling Deep, and we're going to talk with Steve Burks. Steve is the man who went from being behind the wheel as a truck driver to his PhD. He's now a professor of economics at the University of Minnesota at Morris, and he's got a lot of focus and a lot of writing that he's done over the years on trucking and truck drivers. So, Steve, we're first of all, welcome to Drilling Deep. Well, thanks, John. It's a pleasure to talk with you and with your audience. Yeah, so last year, Steve and I met. We did a... Uh, a video session, a series of interviews I did at the Smart Drive or right, the, was it Smart Drive? It was, yes. Yes, yeah, so meeting in Atlanta. That was a lot of fun. And I just thought Steve was a fascinating guy. So I wanted to have him here on Drilling Deep. So Steve, you talk to truck drivers a lot. You also know the economics behind the industry. How do you compare this downturn with some others that you've seen? Well, um, this one was, uh, boy, a pretty sudden onset for a reason different than other recessions. Um, you know, uh, the drop in trucking employment was probably bigger than the 81, 82 Reagan Volcker double dip recession. Um, and, uh, on the order of magnitude as well of the, the big, uh, 2008 and following, um, financial crisis. Um, you know, the industry got hit pretty hard because a lot of the, um, of the sources of freight um, all of a sudden closed down while in the short run, some other sources of freight went frantically up and then dropped. And it was just, it was a pattern we just never seen before. Right. So there's no one big database of companies that are going out of business. So people do look at other indicators on the size of capacity from your perspective, how fast is capacity exiting the business that assuming this capacity doesn't return? Well, I I don't have um, a good insight on that in terms of data. I don't think anybody has, um, uh, you know, the perfect view. Um, The Paycheck Protection Program um, has helped some trucking companies, although interestingly, um, the second batch of money that Congress appropriated for that 
um, was not all taken up. And some small businesses, I'm not sure how many of them were trucking companies, but uh, looking at the general economic picture, some small businesses actually returned money that they got from the paycheck paycheck. Uh, paycheck protection program. And and the problem was they weren't sure they could meet the rules for loan forgivability and they didn't want to take on debt. Um, that has eased some <clears throat> with Congress uh, somewhat uh, adjusting the Small Business Administration, somewhat adjusting the rules. But um, uh, here, here's, here's a tidbit um, from the trucking industry specifically. Uh, the Truckload Carriers Association, which is the trade association within the American Trucking Associations of long-distance truckload motor carriers, has a, an internal program for profitability management, which some of their members joined. And they uh, gave a presentation to some investment groups about what these 240 firms had experienced. And uh, uh, some significant fraction of them, um, perhaps as many as two-thirds, had received uh, money from the paytex, Paycheck Protection Program. Um, and so the picture from the uh, analysts who heard the presentation was, well, that's been holding up capacity, uh, sustaining capacity uh, when it might have exited. And um, the analysts in, uh, who heard that presentation suggested that many of those firms would be in deep trouble when paytech, paycheck protection was over if the um, freight demand hadn't come back fast enough. Right. And of course, the first expiration of that money is probably going to be happening soon because the first money went out the door from the Small Business Administration you know, through the lenders um, on, I think, April 5th or something like that, April 9th, something like that was the date. So there are going to be some companies whose money is going to run out. But but as you noted, they've been making changes. And one of the uh, one of the changes they made was it was supposed to be covered just for eight weeks of payroll, and now that's been extended to 24. So you might be able to dra- drag it out now uh, when they come back and see, did you spend your money on – well, now it's going to be 60% of uh, – 60% needs to be on payroll, and now it's got to be over 24 weeks. So that might give it a little extra support. Have you given any thought to that? Well, so that that clearly will make things a little bit easier and make that money a little bit easier for small and medium-sized businesses to use. Um I think uh, so. Uh, a, a very interesting article in the New York Times reported the confusion and dismay of one small business owner looking at the first issue of the Small Business Administration's uh, application for loan forgiveness, which was 11 pages long and significantly more dense than the application to get the loan in the first place. <laughs> so um, now the thing about about the TCA's uh, uh, profitability program, it, it has a range of carriers in it, but most of those you know, must be medium and larger size carriers. Um, I, I don't have any actual statistics on that, but from what was said in the analysis, you have to think that would be true. And, um, you know, the bigger the company, the more resources that they have to deal with uh, bureaucratic details like that. The, the people who are going to have the hardest time with that are the one to five truck operators if they got this money. Right. Well, of course, if you're on the PPP, if you're a publicly traded corporation, you couldn't get any money, which was not a rule at first, but then they changed it. You're right. I mean, the, the number of amendments that the SBA has made to PPP, it's exhausting. I can't keep up. Well, yes. Um, and, you know, um, it's consistent with our overall political view about um, help from the government, which is uh, only the most deserving should get it. Uh, but then implementing that idea uh, ter- always turns out to be complicated and messy. All right, so let's talk about capacity down the road and what's out there now and what are some of the signs. 
you know, I know that back in 2018, this incredibly robust market that people will be talking about for years to come, uh, one of the most robust areas, of course, were class eight orders. They were off the charts like nobody had ever seen before. Now they're down in the dumps like nobody's ever seen before. And it was pretty clear that a lot of those orders from two years ago went into new capacity that really wasn't needed. Uh, when you see a fall in output, a fall in the order book like we've got now, do you look at that and say, boy, that we're setting ourselves up to, to tighten capacity significantly down the road? Well, um, I, I so so the the, the trucking industry, especially uh, the truckload part of it, which is the part of the industry that has tens and tens of thousands of small operators, um, you know, it, it operates, it responds to price signals with, in some ways, very quickly. Um, um, spot rates, for instance, go right up to the to the rooftop when there's a, 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 a too little supply for the uh, immediate uh, level of demand, but for capacity levels, it responds with a lag. And the lag creates this effect that when we have a sustained increase in demand and capacity isn't large enough and spot rates go up and then contract rates start to follow them, and that goes up, that stays up for a year, which it did in the 2017 through 2018 period or a year or 18 months, then over a period of time, Sequentially, lots of the smaller and medium-sized operators, and not to mention the big ones who are perhaps a little more strategically savvy, start adding capacity. And the problem is that their uh, perception of when the capacity increase is enough doesn't it, – it also happens with a lag. So <laughs> big demand spike, slow increase in capacity, drop off in demand, slow decrease in capacity until we get something like the uh, – coronavirus pandemic, when, as you're suggesting, we're going to see some slaughter of of small companies, Um, and uh, especially um, firms that had to rely a lot on the spot market. And some interesting research from FreightWaves, which you do work for, John, suggested that um, the companies in terms of company size in long-distance truckload who are most susceptible to variations in the spot market are the firms between 50 and 100 trucks. And and there's sort of a little interesting story for that. If you're a small truckload carrier, uh, now, of course, everybody's mileage varies. Everybody's specific circumstances are different. But looked at from, you know, up at the 5,000-foot level, a typical small truckload firm gets started based upon having a home base and some reliable source of outbound freight from that base, a relationship with some shipper or shippers in that area. And then they basically put together the rest of the package by sending trucks out and then bouncing them around and then getting them home. And when you get to be really big, you start to have um, sustained and stable sources of freight in multiple locations when you get over, say, the 100 truck threshold. But when you're going between 50 and 100, you are in a situation in which you have that outbound freight from your home location, but you don't yet have a big enough operation to have generated the ability to get stable sources of freight from locations other than your home domicile. So you're using the spot market a lot. And so my guess is, that's a speculation, but I think it's an informed, uh, economically informed speculation, is that's the size of firm that's going to have the toughest time. Yeah, so, that, so that's <laughs> why I feel like the anti-sweet spot. That would be right. 
stuck yeah. in the middle as the uh, as the as the people who talk in the management world about about management strategy. They, they talk about having you know a core competency and a and a core direction, and you don't want to be somebody who does some of this and some of that because then you're stuck in the middle. Well, it's a different metaphor, or a, a different different context here, but the metaphor is the same. You're kind of stuck in the middle if you're in that in that range. Yeah, they um the the consensus in the market seems to be almost unbroken. Everybody thinks that there's going to be tight capacity by the end of the year. Do you agree with that? Well, um, so we're seeing uh, signs that demand is coming back as the economy starts to reopen. But my my personal view is that there is a significant risk of a second downturn. Um, now, how big that risk is, is hard to, to understand or hard to quantify because we don't actually have full medical information about the COVID virus yet. You know, it's still being developed as science progresses faster than many other cases, but still slow by the needs of the marketplace. Um, so, you know, for instance, we don't actually know what the real death rate among people infected with the disease is. And the reason we don't is because we don't know how many actual infected people we have had because all of the testing has been based upon either clinical needs Somebody looks sick, they're going to test to see if they have it. Or public health needs, somebody has been exposed to someone we know has it. We haven't randomly sampled the entire population to uh, identify who has been exposed to the virus. So we don't know how many cases we've actually had. So we know how many deaths we've had, but we don't know what the denominator is. And there's lots of other stuff like that about this virus that is still yet unknown. And so it's hard to quantify what the risk of a second downturn is. If we don't have a second downturn, then uh, the projections that we're going to have tight capacity by the end of the year are going to are sensible. But I think the risk is of a second downturn, which might change that. All right, let's talk about now. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you you gobble up every story in freight waves, right, Steve? Um, and so, but this this story that I'm talking about has only been out about two or three hours. It was the same metrics number for the for the first quarter, and what was interesting was that they said by the the end of the quarter, turnover was the lowest they'd ever seen. Everybody was staying put. And, and right about that time, really about a month later, though, in talking about the first quarter, Eric Fuller, the CEO of US, of U.S. Express, said he'd seen turnover rates plummet to a level they hadn't seen in 10 years. Yeah, um, I, think, I think it was 58 percent or 50 percent yeah. somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. So what from your perspective, what's going on on the turnover side? Is it just because it's such scary times? People want to hang on to what they've got? Well, first of all, yeah, that would make perfect sense, and we shouldn't find it surprising. Um, let's remember that with um, – so so State Metrics is a, a company that provides services to motor carriers and with a focus on truckload motor carriers um, in terms of retaining employees and reducing turnover. Um, and so their data come from the companies who are their clients, which it's very interesting data, but we don't know how representative it is of the whole population. Um the American Trucking Associations has a quarterly report of the same type, which again is from firms that report to them. So we we can't say exactly how representative it is of the whole population, but still, when you put the two together, you should get a, a reasonably good picture. The ATA's quarterly uh, annualized turnover reports, they that is, their annualized turnover reports, but provided every quarter at the end of the following quarter um, or middle of the following quarter, when we hit the big recession, 2007, 2008, that turnover report from the ATA dropped from being over 100% a year for large truckload motor carriers and in the 90s for smaller truckload carriers down to a low 
of 39% for large carriers, and I believe it was 35% for small carriers. And uh, I want to say it was first quarter of 2010 because it all happened with some lag to the initial financial crisis. So we haven't gotten quite that low yet, um, according to same metrics, although we'll have to see what the ATA numbers uh, say when they come out after a, after a lag. Um, but uh, that doesn't tell us what's going to happen, or, or let me put it this way, that doesn't um, predict that we're going to stay there when the economy comes back. In fact, all of the evidence we have about how turnover works in long-distance truckload is that when the economy is cooking at a reasonable uh, level, a reasonable temperature, that turnover rate will shoot back up. It's a structural feature of how competition and the labor market works in that part of the industry. Um, I once calculated for a paper I published in the Bureau of Labor Statistics Research Journal with a BLS colleague um, that came out in March 2019, I think, that the average annual turnover rate in the ATA's data running from 1996 through 2018 for large motor carriers was 94%. That was the average. And that included that 39% dip, right, as well as some spikes. Right. So, yeah. He made that observation at Smart Drive, and I thought that was interesting. That essentially, the driver shortage is not a problem. A driver shortage is, and however you want to define driver shortage, I know some people don't like that term, including us, but you know, we'll, we'll call it driver shortage for lack of a better term. It's just structural. It's part of this industry all the time, basically. Yeah, of, it's part of the long-distance truckload, long-distance and medium-range truckload industry. The rest of trucking has turnover rates that look much more like ordinary blue-collar jobs in the single digits or the slow double digits. Um, and, uh, you know, doesn't uh, the rest of the industry, the rest of trucking doesn't look like call centers, <laughs> but long-distance truckload does. And, yeah, and it's yeah. a structural feature of that part of the industry. And it's two things together. It's the nature of the typical long-distance truck driver's job, you know, irregular hours and uh, irregular and long times away from home and long work hours, which suit some people, but not enough to run the whole, that whole part of the industry, um, combined with the fact that competition in that industry is, is about costs in that part of the industry. Um, and, you know, it's, it's nearly perfectly competitive, as we economists would label it, because people can enter and exit so easily. And, um, and so the competition about costs means that driver pay doesn't ever get up to enough level to reduce the turnover because it turns out to be too costly to do that as compared to keeping higher turnover and training people and keeping the industry running that way. Um, it's a structural feature. Okay, Steve, I want to wrap it up with one last question. I mean, you're in touch with drivers. been some tough times. How are they surviving out there? Well, you know, um, uh, one thing is, of course, everybody, I think, appreciated being recognized as essential. <laughs> and, uh, and that was number one. Number two, people were concerned about their own exposure um, to potential for getting ill, um, especially being away from home on the road. And that's a real concern, especially since in long distance truckload, the average driver in that part of the driving community tends to be older and, uh, and, and have higher BMI than the U.S. population as a whole. And then, of course, the third thing was that with the most recent um, civil unrest around uh, racial justice and, and George Floyd, death, uh, a lot of drivers got concerned about how they should handle themselves, whether they should go through metropolitan areas and, and, and how to, how to uh, uh, keep safe in that circumstance. And, um, and I, I think uh, if you were to talk to somebody, you know, randomly sample uh, 100 drivers uh, 
out on the highway right now, you would find um, a sense of, uh, to a certain degree, a sense of whipsaw. <laughs> Things have changed quite a bit. Um, yeah, in yeah. the last uh, uh, couple of months, and it uh, doesn't look like things have fully settled down yet. Steve, we want to thank you. Steve Burks, a, a professor of a, a professor of economics at the University of Minnesota at Morris and a, a well-known trucking expert. Steve, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. And thanks to all those who have tuned in today to hear us. Uh, we're here on Drilling Deep, we drill deep into the oil world because that's where I came from. And we drill deep into the trucking world because there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of interesting things to say, like Steve. And that's why he was our guest today. I hope you'll join us again. I'm John Kingston.